over us this morning. That your presence is blessing to be in your presence hallelujah we glorify and magnify your name it's nothing like your presence Lord it's nothing like your presence thank you for your presence Lord how we worship you and honor you and adore you today how we magnify you and give you the glory that is due unto your name. We love you today, Lord. We honor you and we bless you. We thank you for your presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's nothing like your presence, Lord. Hallelujah. I don't care what you're going through today. If you can just take a moment to get over into his presence. Come on, he'll bring heaven right into your situation. Why don't you just block out everything that's going on in your life, everything that went on prior to your arrival. Why don't you just lift up your hands right now and get into the presence of God. Because in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come on, you can get healed in his presence. Come on, you can get answers in his presence. You can get delivered in his presence. Come on, you can get anything that you need in his presence today. And so, Father, we just thank you today for your presence. Father, there's something liberating about your presence. That every time we enter into it, Father, we are privileged to see things from your perspective and no longer from ours. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your favor. God, you're just a good God, and we love you today. And you're good all the time. So, Father, as we go forth in this service today, However you desire to function or flow in our midst today, Holy Spirit, have your way. We yield our vessels to be used by you in any way that you see fit. Should you desire to flow in any of the gifts or operations of the Spirit, have your way today. Be glorified in this service. Father, when it is all said and done, we'll give you all the glory for all the good that will come out of it. In Jesus' name. Everyone that agrees with that prayer shouted. 
Amen. Well, one more time, let's just love on a great God. Let's love on a good God today. Praise God. Open up your mouth. Just tell him how good, how great, how awesome, how wonderful he is. And now take a moment to love on someone around you and just pay a compliment to them. Let them know that they look good in God today. Praise God. And after you're done loving on someone, you may be seated. Praise God. I want to welcome our Periscope audience today, those that are watching via Periscope. I want to welcome you. We're glad to have you partake in our services on today. As always, these notes are in the version portion of your Bible app. Uh, just go down to the far right corner. You'll see three or four bars there. Click those bars. Go to the events. Look up Linked Up Church, and the day's outline will be right there for you to follow along. Today we will conclude uh, the series on the grace of God in salvation. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. And let's read our foundation text in verse 24. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And while you all are turning there, I just want to remind you that Paul is really recapping his journeys, all the different various places where he administered the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends up here at Ephesus, and he's with the elders or the Ephesian council there, And he's explaining to them all that he had gone through and just the trials and tribulations and how the Jews had lied and wait for him. And then he says here in verse 24 of Acts chapter 20, he said, but none of these things move me. I mean, if you're going to do something for God, then you've got to get to a place where you don't let stuff move you. Because the reality is the moment you say you want to do something for God, there will be things that come that try to move you. And so Paul said, but none of these things move me, and then you've got to get here too, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Anyone who has accepted a call or, or a desire to fulfill anything that God has placed on their lives, then how many of you know you've got to love that more than you love your own life, even if it including, included losing your life for it? But let me tell you, there's just something about a safety in the will of God that you don't have to worry about all that outside noise. The safest place in the world is in the will of God. So Paul said, I don't even count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. And now he tells us what that ministry is. And that is to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was commissioned by Jesus to proclaim a good message about God's grace. We know the word gospel means good news or good message in most contexts. Grace means goodwill, loving kindness. It means benefit. It means gift. It means joy. We know it's the favor of God. It's something that's unearned. So Paul was given a ministry to proclaim a good message about God's goodwill. He also warned the church at Galatia about a perverted gospel. We don't have time to go back and look back at that. But what Paul was dealing with with the church at Galatia was they were still struggling with a works mentality. And they no longer could believe that they, all they had to do was just believe God. They felt like they had to do something in order to gain God's approval or to get God to do something for them. And Paul was telling them, no, you don't have to do that any longer. Christ has done all of that for you. And so now all you have to do is put your faith in what he's done, not what you do. 
And so we know it's a perverted message when it's about you and what you need to do to get God to do something, right? It's a good message about God's goodwill and His grace when it teaches you to focus on Him and what He's done for you and then how you respond to that with your faith. I mean, we're not trying to get God to do anything. God's already done everything He's going to do, right? It's our responsibility now to receive what it is that He's provided for us by faith. And so, we've been primarily looking at three things as it relates to salvation. The need, we know all of us are in need of salvation. We looked at what we call the provision, and, and that provision is Jesus. There's no way around that, right? No two ways of looking at that. And today, let's look at how to receive, okay? And so, if you would, we're going to look at two opening thoughts. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Just two opening thoughts, and then we'll get into the message for today. How to receive. Receiving God's grace requires obedience. So a lot of times when people teach on the subject of grace, you know, you can be left thinking you don't have to do anything, right? And so we have to do something, but we're not doing it to get God to do something. We're responding to what we believe he's already done, right? So now, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 says here, and having been perfected, how, how Jesus was, perfect, was perfected through his death, burial, and resurrection, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And, and the word author there means the originator. So if you want to learn about Microsoft, I mean, the best person to learn from is Bill Gates because he's the originator of Microsoft. You know, may he rest in peace, but if you want to learn about Apple, then you need to talk to Steve Jobs because he's the originator of Apple. If you want to learn about salvation, you need to talk to Jesus because he's the originator. And thank God for pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, but they're all men capable of missing it. Right? But but Jesus will never miss it. So we want to pay attention to what he said about his salvation and maybe not what we've been taught over the years. Freedom from sin comes from one who is willing to obey him from the heart, okay? That's where all your freedom comes from. You're not free because you get saved. You're free because you decide to walk in the freedom that he's already provided for you. How many of y'all would agree with that? Since you've been saved, you've made multiple mistakes. So we know salvation didn't free you. It's not until you actually begin to believe that you're free. And then it'll produce acts of obedience that will allow you to remain free. Notice what he says here. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. And let's read verses 17 through 19. Romans chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse 17. Really, the whole chapter is dealing with this subject here. It says, but, thanks, uh, but God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, see, were slaves of sin. See, so we can't run around talking about the devil made me do it. Right? Like a lot of people do, right? The, the, the devil made me do it. I, watch this or this one. I just had a weak moment. Right? See, in God's eyes, you were a slave to sin. You're no longer that anymore. 
Sin has no more dominion over a true believer. A true believer has dominion over sin. He says here, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. Now, he's going to show you how you got there. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So now he's telling you how people become slaves of sin. Somewhere they received some kind of instruction that they believed that made them that way. Believe it or not, folks, in most cases, it was that erroneous teaching about 1 John 1, 9. What I mean by that is confession of sin never changed the behavior of sin. Watch this. In most cases, it gave people a license to sin. And they use that as their black card. I'm good because 1 John 1, 9 says, right? And we're going to get with that at a later date so you can understand the context of even when that was written. But for a true believer, there's a higher standard. But all of us got to the place where we became a slave to something because we were instructed that way. Right? And then we believed that form of instruction And so we conducted our lives in that way, right? So if we were taught, for instance, like when I first got saved, I was told, you're not going to get rid of everything right away. Calm down. Well, if I believe that, I don't even make an attempt to try to get rid of much of anything. Because the pastor instructed me that way. When I actually went to him for help, God rest his soul, when I actually went to him from, for help, he said, boy, it doesn't take all of that. You're not going to get rid of all of that right away. So, 22 years old, well, oh, okay, cool. How many of know that was bad doctrine? And it kept me a slave when I didn't have to be one. The only way you can stay a slave is if you actually believe you are one through wrong teaching. Let's keep reading here. And having been set free from sin, do I have anybody in here who's been set free from sin? See, so I can't be a slave and set free at the same time. I'm either one or the other. I'm either a slave or I'm set free. Which one are you today? Come on, whom the sun sets free is what? It's free indeed. Come on, if you're free in here, just go ahead and let out a, a good praise unto God. It says, and having then been set free from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. So the only way to become a slave of righteousness is the same way you became a slave of sin. You got to get some better information. Some better instruction, right? So he says here, now, then he's going to show you a pattern here that we all can relate to. So he says here, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. But watch this. But just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, see, see, because how many of you know you had to dedicate yourself to your cause? Come on, somebody. You had to learn how to do it. You had to take your next steps. Come on, you had to join a small group. So they can school you on how to sin. You notice there's really nothing different, is it? 
right? You had, to, you had to make a decision, okay, I agree with this. Then you had to get with a group of people who were going to raise you up in it. Okay, see. So, so then why wouldn't we get saved? Would it be any different? Right? I got to, and I'm going to show you that progression today. I've got to make a decision, right? Then I got to change the way I think and get around a group of people who will help raise me up. Now watch this. I can believe, but if I go back to the same group of people, I, I'm going to act the same way. At least one person in here knows what I'm talking about. Right? Let's keep reading here. So I speak these things in human terms because we can relate to that. See? But just like you dedicated and you presented your members, see, your bodily organs as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You ever notice that when, when, when we weren't saved or saved and ignorant, you know, you always tried to get around what was right. Looking for the hookup. Hook a brother up. Oh, okay, right? Anybody else in here know what I'm talking about? Right? And it would just lead to more, what, lawlessness, right? Look what he goes on to say. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, this is going to shock you. The Holy Spirit won't do that for you. No one will do that for you. You have to make a decision to present your members. Right? So let me use myself. Coming out of the world, athlete, females, clubs, and drinking. I've got to make a decision about this. Going to church is not, it's going to give me information, but I better make a decision about my body. Right? And so for me, I just said, you know what? I, I got to stop these girls, and I got to stop going to these clubs, and I got to stop drinking. So I deduced it this way. I said, the reason I drink is so I can go to the club. The reason I go to the club is so I can get the girls. So if I just cut the girls out, I won't want to drink or go to the club because the end game is the girls. I can't really see because the light is in my eyes. Is anybody receiving this today? Anybody know what I'm talking about out here, right? So I've got to make a decision to now present my body. So for me, I'm not putting this on anybody else. The Lord challenged me to take four years. No girls, no clubs, no drinking. It was just kind of in my spirit. If you could live that way like that for the devil for four years on that college campus, come on and earn a spiritual degree. Because you, you earned a degree in sin at Bowling Green State University. Come on, somebody in here know what I'm talking about. Somebody. Some, come on, so, somebody in here know what I'm talking about. Am I right or wrong? You mastered the art of sin. Watch this. And then you started your own small groups. Right, start schooling other people in the art of sin. Come on, little freshman, let me show you how, to, how this works down here. All right, so I gave four years of my life undistracted, right? And I wouldn't date, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't care who, I didn't care who they tried to introduce me to. No, four years, just me and God. 
Well, that wasn't to confess sin. That was to change the way I think. Okay, let's keep going. I'm y'all glad you came today. All right. I'm getting it all out today, this service, because I got a shorter service, next service, that I got to tell them, go back, listen to this message. <laughs> got 60-minute service, hour of power right after this. All right, so what does this level of obedience involve? Let's look at five areas of progression. See, it's not once saved, always saved, and it's not because I get saved, my behavior changes. Which is why you want to give people time to demonstrate fruits that are meat for repentance. See, when a person has truly changed the way that they think, their behavior should follow that. And you need to give them time to prove that they are a new human being. Single people, which is why just because they get saved. Did you see that brother that got saved? Give that brother time. Did you see that sister that got saved today? Listen, that sister needs time. We want to take them right from the altar into our small groups. The light is in my eye again. You all doing all right out there? All right, let's, let's follow this progression. Number one is believing. Number one is believing, trusting in Jesus And that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. We all know this. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He did something about that. He didn't so love the church. Watch this. You don't have a church if you don't first love the world. Because we all came from the world into the church. So we can't treat them like an outcast and win them. Right? So how do you win them? Same way God won us, by giving them something. What what do we give them? Give them love. Give them acceptance. Give them respect. Come on, somebody. Be a blessing to them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or born son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting zoe. Life the way in which God intended it to be lived, life the way God intended it to be lived. So first of all, we've got to believe. We've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's no other way to the Father but through the Son. There are not many roads to get to Jesus, to get to the Father. There's only one road, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one that died, come on, rose from the grave, and is alive today. There's no other name given above men whereby we must be saved. Folks, there is no other name besides the name of Jesus. If you go to any other grave, any other tomb, you'll find their bones. But if you go to the grave where Jesus laid, the only thing you'll be able to say is he's not there. Why? Because he's risen from the grave. He's the only one that left a will and then came back to assure that his will would be carried out. Folks, we have faith in a living God, not a dead God. And his name is Jesus. Number two, repenting. Now, I want to show you something different here today. This is where I'm going to spend a few minutes today, repenting. Because, again, when we were saved, most of us was instructed or were instructed in a form of doctrine that said after salvation, we have to confess our sins. How many of y'all believe that? Right? Every time we sin, we, we go to 1 John 1, 9, right? 
Well, what you're going to see is more of a biblical pattern is after you're saved, you need to repent from your sins. Right? And I'll show you this a couple of ways today. Repenting of your sins because of godly sorrow, resolving to no longer live for sin, but to live for God. So, in other words, I've got to acknowledge that that behavior is wrong. I've got to identify it for what it is. But the only way my behavior is going to change is, number one, I acknowledge that it's wrong. Number two, I make a decision to live a different way. And what happens in the middle is I get some different information that changes the behavior that caused that sin. Right? And then I dedicate myself to no longer living uh, for sin, but living for God. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. When you get there, say amen. amen. Acts chapter 17. We're talking about repentance here. Now, just to save time here in Acts chapter 17, they're preaching Christ at the top there. Uh, at Thessalonica, and then there's an assault on Jason's house. And verse 10, they're ministering at Berea, and then now they're dealing with the philosophers at Athens, okay? And we're going to pick this story up here at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, the Spirit was provided. I think some translation says Mars Hill. Does some of your translations say Mars Hill? Right? Anybody translation out there says Mars Hill? No, everybody following along in the New King James Version then, okay? I'm reading verse 16, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue and with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and the marketplace daily and those who happened to be there that certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Notice they're calling Paul a babbler. Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So you've got to understand that, folks, a lot of times, especially in America today, if you're preaching Jesus and he rose from the grave, you're a foreigner. So we're now living in the exact same time that he lived in. Nobody wants to hear this anymore. <clears throat> so others said uh, he seems to be proclaiming foreign gods because he preached Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Arapagos, which again is Mars Hills. And really it's just a, a Greek deity there that they believed in of war. Uh, and they say, may we know this new doctrine is of, is, which, of is which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things into our areas. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So what, so what you're going to find with people, if you don't tell them something new, that's all people are looking for today is something new. And you've got to really not get, see, we can't get caught up in that. We need to do church differently. Well, how many different ways can you do it? <laughs> we can't get caught up in that, folks. Right? We've got to keep Christ in church. People, that's all they're going to look for is a new thing. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst, the men of Athens, 
I perceive in all things that you are very religious. See, they believe something, right? For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even focused an altar with this inspiration or inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. I want to make sure I, I get this out here. Most people already believe something. Our job is to take them from what they actually already believe and just show them how it's perverted. Right? And you can do that a bunch of different ways. You, you remember the woman at the well? And, and Jesus, you know, said to her, you know, she said, I come here at my father's work. But he, he said, no, you didn't come here to worship. You got to go back home. You got five husbands at home. And she said, wait a minute, how did he know that? So he started where she was at. And then she said, well, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, I guess so, if he just told you how many people you're sleeping with. <laughs> but then he used that, right, to bring her to salvation and a whole city. So just, that's a form of worship. See, that lady was worshiping men. So she needed to see that she was already a worshiper. She was just worshiping the wrong thing. Can you all see that? So notice Jesus didn't judge her. He just shifted her focus in a way that she could receive it. All right, let's keep going. And I'm taking my time here because we're not going to win anyone if we just judge them. We've got to give them a different way to reconsider what it is they're already doing. Just show them how to do that for God. All right, let's keep going. So God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven, uh, does not dwell in temples, verse 21, made with hands, nor is, is he worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said. So he's taking again what they believe and showing them how to really shift that over. For we are all his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art of man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance, which is my focus verse here, God overlooked. So you've got to understand when you're dealing with people, God has mercy on people who don't know any better. So if God has mercy on them, we should have mercy on them too. Right? And, and so... He said, truly, during these times of ignorance, God overlooked that. But now he commands all men everywhere to confess their sins. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? What, what does he command men everywhere to do? Repent. To repent, reconsider, to think differently. That's what he's commanding people everywhere. Just reconsider what it is that you're doing and how you live and think differently about that. Go with me to uh, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Let's look at it another way. Acts chapter 3. Verse 
We know at the top of Acts chapter 3, the lame man was healed, and now uh, they're preaching here in Solomon's porch. And let's pick it up here. After they began to preach in Solomon's porch about the goodness of God and, and how, man, how good God is and it's God's power that caused this man to walk. Notice what he says after preaching to them about the goodness of God. Verse 19, he says, repent therefore and be what? Converted. That word converted there means changed. So then confessing of sin must not change people. But repentance changes behavior. You all see that? I can tell you every time I confessed it, it never changed my behavior. My behavior didn't change until I changed my thinking. Anyone in here willing to agree with that? Notice what he says here. Therefore, watch this. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Watch this. So that your sins may be wiped out, blotted out. Then the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Something refreshing about change. When I know I no longer act like I used to, man, there's something refreshing about that to me, right? When you know you're in a situation that you would have slapped, you would have slapped it, you would have, you would have, I mean, you, and you didn't do it, there's a refreshing that comes on you like, God, I'm a changed man. God, I'm a changed woman. God, thank you for helping me to change. Because I know me and my previous self, how I would have responded in that exact situation. Right or wrong. Then you'll notice every time there's an act of obedience like that, there's a refreshing that comes along with it. From the presence of the Lord that you are on the right track. Stay right there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When you get there, say amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Are you all getting anything out of this today? Talking about repentance. Now, to save a little time here, you actually have to go back into chapter 6. And we know, uh, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, right? You'll be a son and a daughter unto me. That's really what the therefore is is therefore in chapter 7, verse 1. So after he says all of that, Paul is writing that letter, commissioning them to be separate and to live holy lives. Now, you got to remember, the church at Corinth was considered the most immoral church of its time. So if anyone needed to deal with sin, that church needed to deal with sin. But I want to show you how Paul wrote his letter to them on how to deal with that sin, okay? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, which were the promises of being sons and daughters of the Most High God, he said, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Notice, we have to cleanse ourselves from filthiness of our flesh. With the help of the Holy Spirit, but we've got to go through the transformation in our minds, right? Then he says here, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Then he goes on in that letter to just talk about how his goal was not to send them anything that would condemn them because how I many know condemnation does not come from God? So his goal wasn't to produce condemnation, but his goal was to produce sorrow, right? So if you can live with someone and it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. You're not married to him. Oh, okay. Put 20 more minutes on this clock up here for me. We're just going to run this service right into the next service. 
I'm talking about if you can habitually just sleep with someone that you're not married to, and that doesn't bother you, something's wrong with that. Come on, if you can cheat on your spouse and act like that never happened, something's wrong with that. And that doesn't bother you, especially if you got little children at home who didn't ask for that. Come on, somebody. You're not just cheating on your spouse. You're cheating on your children. And that doesn't bother you. Something's wrong with that. Hello? The lights are in my eye again. If anybody would say amen, I at least would know you're receiving truth the way it's being presented to you. Something is wrong when we can habitually sin and it does not bother us. And if I was in a saved church, somebody would have encouraged me right there. They would have said, Pastor, that's good. Stay right there, Pastor. Keep preaching the truth, Pastor. Come on, Pastor. Don't, don't pull back, Pastor. Stay out there. Stay out there a little longer, Pastor. Instead, I'm getting no encouragement in church. Let me try again. If you are truly saved, you cannot habitually sin, and that does not bother you. She's going to push me out there, Johnny. Let's pick it up at verse 9. He says, Now I rejoice... Not that you were made sorry, see? That word sorry there means to distress, to be sad, to grieve, to be in heaviness. Folks, that's what sin should do to you. Right? But it it should really motivate you to move away from it so you never have to feel like that again. If that's not present, then I question salvation. So now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, not that you were made to distress or be sad or grieve. I'm not rejoicing for that reason, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Now, this word repentance here means reformation. It means a reversal. It means another decision. So true godly sorrow is going to lead to a repentance that brings about change. If God is in it, if the devil is in it, then you're just going to apologize until the next time. And we all been there before, right? Lord, if you just get me out of this one, if you just get me out of this one, if you just get me out of this one, I promise you, I will never, I will never, never, ever, 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 never will I drink again, Lord, if you just... Get me out of this one, Lord. Help me, Lord. Get out of this one and I'll never drink again, Lord. Lord, help me, Lord. Help me. Lord, help me, Jesus. Help. Right? Until next weekend. Listen to this. God wasn't in that. Why? Because it didn't lead to repentance. Right? What should have left led to a different decision and reformation. Let's keep reading. For you were made sorry, oh, hold on, wait a minute, in a godly manner. 
Whoa. So to distress and be sad and to grieve and to be in heaviness can be godly if it's related to sin. That's what it should do. It should disappoint you. But not for the purpose of staying there. Only to motivate you to change. Put 30 more minutes on that clock. <laughs> I'm making this front row nervous over here today. All of them looking at watches, clocks, all kind of stuff over there. So, so, you were made sorry in a godly manner. Watch this. So that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. So, notice, when it's a godly sour, you don't suffer loss. Man, I'm telling you, I'm getting ready to run out of this building. So, notice, he's not even mad at you. He's actually pleased that that behavior bothered you. Just like any parent would about a child that can acknowledge a mistake that they made. I'm more pleased that they realized it was wrong than actually what they did. My son just blessed me so good on yesterday coming back from his baseball game. To hear him say, Dad, I understand how I got here was more important than getting there. Because I know I can't change his life. Only God can. Can I read a little bit more of this? How many of y'all, this is your first time hearing something like this in church? I'm going to look at this little friend. So, so we all understand that, folks. A person should feel bad about sin. Something's wrong with any kind of teaching that teaches you otherwise. We don't talk about sin in this church. We don't use the word sin. Well, listen, I, I won't be back to this church because it's in the Bible. How can you not talk about sin in church when the Bible talks about sin? All right, you all want to keep reading just a little bit more, and then I'm going to wind this on now. The rest of them I can glad through, right? For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to what? That word salvation there is soteria, rescue, safety, deliverance, health. See, see, if you want to get somewhere, that's how you get there. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces what? See, that's how you know it didn't come from God, because your behavior didn't change. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you. Well, what diligence? To think differently. See, notice, my years of sinning sent me into years of studying. I became very diligent to learn about how not to live like this for the rest of my life. And that was important to me to not live my father's life all over again. 
Come on, to not be like the other men in my family. Come on, somebody. But to be a man that would be faithful to his, to his wife and to raise his children. And come on, not quit on his covenant. Come on, somebody. That's got to be important to you. If you really want to change, then you'll be diligent about that change through your study. Not your church attendance. Look at what diligence it, pre, it produced in you. Look, what clearing of yourselves. Look at you now. Look at how you've come up. What indignation. There's a, a righteous indignation. I hate the way I used to be. And I don't want no parts of it. I don't want to get anywhere close to the guy that I used to be prior to salvation. And there's a righteous indignation that arise up in you that I'm not going back to where I came from because God has set me free from that lifestyle. Hello, somebody. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what enthusiasm, what excitement, what vindication. Look at you now. You've been vindicated from who you used to be. And that's a good feeling to know how I used to be. I couldn't be faithful to one female. Never would even tell. It was cold. I couldn't even tell a female I loved her. Not one. Now I can stand up here and be vindicated and say that I have not slept with a female that I'm not married to in 28 years. That's vindication, folks. I haven't been in a club in 28 years. That's vindication, folks. I have not had alcohol in 28 years. That's vindication, folks. And it's something empowering knowing that you changed the way that you used to be. Come on, God wants to change somebody in this room. Come on, you've got a bright future ahead of you. Let's look at confession, and let's go through these last few very quickly. Confession. Confessing your faith in Jesus and what he says about you. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We know that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, what will happen? You'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we have to constantly confess, right, Jesus, but we also have to confess what he said about us. Right? Go to Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. It says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Notice, let us hold fast our profession. In other words, use strength to hang on to what you're saying about yourself and what he said about you. You got to fight for that, folks, because the world is always going to try to announce something different about you. You got to fight for what he said about you. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all point tempted, but watch this, and yet without sins. Why did they put that in there? Because the purpose of that is to let you know you don't have it anymore. This will shock you. And he's not even dealing with you after that because his son already paid the penalty. We're in the throne room right here, folks. We're in the Holy of Holies, and it's important to understand sin is not up there. Your sin is on the holy seat, all covered in the blood. And when you get a revelation of that, look at what he said here uh, in the rest of that verse here. Then he says here, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not judgment, 
so that you may receive compassion and find grace to help you in your time of need. We've got to be buried with Christ in baptism for the remission of sin. Remember what remission means. After we come out of the death, burial, and resurrection season, we're going to take plenty of time to help you all understand you don't have sin anymore. And if you just get some different instruction, you can live differently. Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16. Remission means pardon, and it means freedom from sin. It means two different things. You've been excused from that, and you're completely free. Mark 16, 15, and 16, he said to them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is what? Baptized, baptizo there, submerged, will be saved. But he who does not will be condemned, okay? We know water does not save. It simply confirms. It's an outward sign of the inward grace of salvation. You're willing to stand up publicly before all that are present and say, I died with him. Watch this. But not only what died, your sins and your old life. And just like he rose from the grave, when you come out of that water, you've risen to a new life. And that new life no longer involves sin. Acts chapter 238, then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For the pardon and freedom from sin. So baptism here is going to have a completely different experience. We're getting ready to continuously remind people that your sin has been pardoned and you're free from it. When you go down into that water, leave it in there. Come on, somebody. Come on out there. Come on out, never to return again. Well, how do I do that? Just keep growing up here. All right? Last one for the day. You've got to remain faithful to Jesus even until the end. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. That has messed a whole lot of people up. People who believe like that still go to clubs. They still live any kind of way they want to live. Come on, somebody. Church is my Sunday thing. Right? Then on Monday, we'll be at it again. Right? Welcome to Atlanta. Right? Where the players play. So I got my Monday thing, right? My Tuesday thing. My Wednesday thing, my Thursday thing, my Friday thing, my Saturday thing. Then I go to church on Sunday to clean all of it off of me. Because on Monday, I'll be back at it again. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. Let's prove it. Just a few verses, and then I'm done for the day. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Did you all get anything out of this today? How many of y'all glad you came to church today, right? Once you know better, you have to do better, right? Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 14 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any one of you. See, this can happen to anyone. With an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So in order to depart from the living God, at some point I had to be a part of the living God. The only way I can depart, right? So he says, beware, lest your, your heart becomes evil and you get over into unbelief and you depart. He didn't leave you, you left him. God will never leave you nor forsake you. 
but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So this tells you that sin will harden your heart. And it's very deceitful. For we have become partakers of Christ. Watch this now. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Go with me to Revelations chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10. I don't believe in starting strong and staying there. You must start strong and finish strong. Revelations 2.10. We know all of these different churches are being ministered to. This particular church, he says here in verse 10, do not fear any of those things. Which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. How many know the devil will throw a whole lot at us in this lifetime? But be of good cheer. Jesus said, I've overcome. Right? And if he's overcome, then you'll overcome. Look what he said to him, Dexter. Look at what he said. Very powerful, strong words. That you may be tested. So this tells you where testing comes from doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. Watch this. Anytime you declare that you believe something, you're going to leave, live something, you're going to get tested. All right. Put 50 more minutes on that clock. <laughs> Anybody here know what I'm talking about? The moment you declare, the next time I sleep with someone, I'll be on my wedding night. Oh, you're getting ready to get a little pressure on that. <laughs> Satan's heard that. Oh, you think so, huh? Let's see. Let me send him on over there and see how, how, if you really believe what you just said. And, folks, I've seen some of the strongest people I thought. I thought. Got something thrown at him. One in a different direction. Notice what he said. Be faithful until what? And then you'll get your crown of life. See, you've got to be faithful to the end, folks. All right. So as I close, I want to note this carefully today. Everything that I'm talking about, none of this obedience, we don't earn this through our own merit. We don't earn salvation through our own merits and our own efforts. We receive salvation. You all understand the difference, right? Never base this on anything that you've done. Always base it on what he's done for you and how you responded to it. So God has ordained that through faith, repentance, confession, culminating in our faith response with baptism, that we might be or receive the wonderful grace of God and the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and live this all the way out until the end. So how about you today? Where are you at in your progression? Are you still growing? Are you saved, but are you still growing in your salvation? Have you taken your next steps? Or did you just get saved and stop right there? Did you take classes? Have you signed up to be water baptized? Have you confirmed publicly what it is that you believe in inwardly? You're part of small groups. Have you getting a, are you now a part of a different group of people that can raise you up and Help you change your behavior and live a different way more consistently. Where, where are you at in your progression 
of your salvation. Let's all stand to our feet and let's just lift our hands to the Father and let's do some self-evaluation for a few moments today because church attendance is great, but that's just the starting point. We've got to move beyond just going to a building. We've got to make, a sh- make sure we represent this throughout every aspect of our lives. So let's just all lift our hands to the Father right now. Let's just examine our own hearts. See where you're at on your journey. Are, are you even saved? See, the, are you at a place where sin no longer bothers you? Can you just do it and, it, and there's no sorrow, there's no distress There's no feeling bad about it. Where are you at in your salvation? Are you saved at all? Are are you taking any steps towards growth? Are you taking classes? Come on, what are you doing? Where are you at in your progression? Because God wants to take you from where you're at right now to where you've always dreamed about being. But it's going to require some effort on your part. Not effort to get God to do anything. Effort as a response to what I believe he's already done. Lift your hands to the Father. Father, as they're just searching their hearts right now all over this room, come on, you can be serving and have a, a, a bad situation. You can be an usher. You can be a host. You can be on music. You can do a whole lot of different things, and, and your heart can be in a completely different place. Don't worry about a uniform right now. Worry about a relationship. And so wherever you're at today, I want you to know that God loves you, and we love you too. He's not judging you. We're not judging you. He's not mad at you. We're not mad at you. He has compassion. He has mercy. We have compassion and we have mercy. Only thing we want to do is help you on your spiritual journey. So while you're in that attitude of prayer today, if you're in this building and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to pray with and for you today. won't do anything to embarrass you. We just want to love on you today. Come on, make the best decision you can make today by giving your life to Christ. Believe that he is the son of God and that God raised him from the grave. Secondarily, you might be here today and just like we read in Hebrews, maybe you allowed your heart to become hard through the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe you just got over into unbelief and that drove you away from God. God didn't leave you.